Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And happy 2024. Happy New Year. If you were traveling, I hope you enjoy your travels. If you didn't and you just simply took some time off and stayed at home, I hope that was great. You know, it's always good to take some time and recharge. And if you didn't take any time off and you were just working straight through, maybe you had to work, you don't celebrate the holidays or any other reason, I hope that at least you find the time to work on the life work balance by doing some sort of activity, either like reading a book or going out or doing something special where you can just take your mind off work and simply relax. So I hope you had a chance to do that. As always, you can find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, GoodPods. Wherever you find podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and I have an email address, which is letstalkmicro at outlook.com. So whether by social media or via email, you can definitely submit any feedback, any suggestions, any topics that you think are good, any ideas that you have. Those are always welcome and appreciated. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and if the app allows you to do so, please go ahead and leave a review. As always, I am grateful for your support. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. It was about Enterococcus. And this episode was originally published as episode 53 as part of a two-episode series. 53 was Enterococcus and 54 was VRE tests and media. And as I have explained before, sometimes, you know, back then, maybe the podcast didn't have as many followers as it has now. You know, it, doesn't, it didn't have all the support. So some of those episodes maybe didn't get a fair chance. And now that the audience is larger, thanks to you that are listening, now maybe they have more reception. So I went ahead and released that episode as episode 122. And in it, I talk about enterococcus. You know, I talk about morphology, biochemicals. So definitely check it out if you haven't already. And if you want to check out the original episodes, those are episodes 53 and 54. So following that line, today's episode is a combined episode about Streptococcus agalactiae. Originally, they were published as episodes 36 and 37. 36 was Streptococcus agalactiae, and 37 was GBS, testing, and more. So in this combined episode, I start talking about Lancel Group B, which, you know, is Group B strep, Streptococcus agalactiae. And I also start talking about morphology, media, biochemicals. And then I move on to talk about tarhuid broth and two PCR tests that are used for the detection of Streptococcus agalactiae. In this episode, I also did some editing and I also did some additional comments and thoughts. So as you know, this is a significant organism. We see it in neonatal meningitis. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you benefit from it. And before we get to it, I just want to say something real quick. In the podcast, I have talked about antibiotics and how much information it is. So if you're looking to learn more about antibiotics, please check out www.learnantibiotics.com and the Learn Antibiotics book available on Amazon.
This book and the website, you know, they have some great resources such as cheat sheets, practice tests, games, and more. And they are being used by thousands of people worldwide and may be helpful for you or your colleagues. So definitely, I invite you to check them out. I had the chance to meet the author of the book, Dr. Timothy Gauthier. He is the creator of the website as well. Very passionate about antibiotics. So definitely check out the book and the website. So let's go ahead and check out the episode. So today I'm going to talk about Lansfield Group B. So I am talking about Streptococcus agalactiae. So on the Lansfield classification system, Streptococcus agalactiae is Group B. It is normal flora of the female genital tract and the lower gastrointestinal tract. It occasionally colonizes the upper respiratory tract, and it typically does not cause problems. But when it gains access to a normally sterile site, it causes infections. And one thing that makes this organism very serious is that it can be passed from the mother to the baby during delivery, causing neonatal meningitis. Other infections of group B strep or Streptococcus agalacti, I mean, at this point, they are interchangeable, so if I, I, I might be saying GBS, group B strep, or Streptococcus agalactiae. So one thing that other infections sorry, uh, include bacteremia, soft tissue infections, and pneumonia. And it can also be involved in postpartum infections, such as endometriosis. So this is a very serious organism, so I'm just going to spend a little more time on it. So according to the Manual of Clinical Microbiology, of the American Society for Microbiology, or the ASM, neonatal infections present in two different ways. One is early onset, which is characterized by sepsis and pneumonia within the first seven days of birth. And then you have the late onset with sepsis and meningitis within seven days to three months of birth. The most important factor in neonatal disease is the colonization of the female genital and gastrointestinal tract, and this is seen in 10 to 30% of pregnancies. Transmission after birth by the mother or healthcare personnel is responsible for the majority of the late onset disease. So this brings the question, how can this be prevented? Well, antibiotics are given during delivery, and in order to do so, they screen for group B strep between 35 to 37 weeks of gestation. How is this done? Well, a lower vaginal and rectal swab is collected, and in the lab we can test for it in many ways. The most classic one is the group B culture. You know, those of you that work in the lab are familiar with this. So we played this swab in blood agar and taught Hewitt broth. So once we have plated this, we examine the plates for group B strep colonies at 24 and 48 hours. And the broth is subcultured to blood agar and examined for two days as well. And how is it worked up in the lab? So I mentioned that, right? So we examined for group B strep colonies at 24 and 48 hours. So that brings some questions, right? What do the colonies look like, right? He's saying examined for group B colonies. So what do they look like? And then also, how do we identify it in the lab? Well, you know, Streptococcus agalactic colonies are beta-hemolytic. There are some degrees of hemolysis. And I know that, you know, it's not to say, because 
alpha hemolysis is partial, so it, it gives like a greenish color. And then beta hemolysis, as you know, is complete lysis of the red blood cells, so it's clear see-through. Now there are some degrees of intensity of beta hemolysis. Uh, Streptococcus pyogenes, you know, your Streptococcus dysgalactiase, they tend to have a pretty strong beta hemolysis. So with group B, the hemolysis, you know, it's beta, but the intensity is not as strong. The colonies tend to be milky white. Some of you that maybe work in, you know, large facilities or might seem, you know, get a high volume, maybe at some point in time of your careers, you might have seen a, a Streptococcus agalacti that the colonies are yellowish. So have I. So yes, but this is an unusual morphology. Your typical day-to-day -day that you see in the lab, the colonies are like a milky white, and they are beta-hemolytic. So we have beta-hemolytic colonies, you know, like a white milky color. So then what are the biochemicals? Well, you know, it's a strep. So they are, the colonies are catalyst negative, PYR negative. And like I mentioned, they are Lansfield group B. So they will agglutinate with the B latex. You know, that typical, that path of the X kit that I mentioned, you know, it, it tests for Lansfield's groups A, B, C, F, and G. So for Streptococcus agalactiae, so it's included in that group. It is included. So however, since you tend to see so much group B strep, you know, from various sources in the lab, typically the labs will purchase these kits, you know, the B latex separately that way you can just have it and then don't go over it and kind of ruin the kit you know you're going to have all these kits with like missing b you know a lot of times missing a because you, you tend to go through them faster than the other lansfield types so it is very typical in the lab to see your standard path of the x kit and then you have some boxes that just have the b latex this is very standard in the lab Group B strep grows in blood, chocolate, PEA. It is a facultative anaerobe, so it will grow on CDC and BAP and PEA incubated anaerobically. So beta hemolytic, catalyst negative, PYR negative, strep typing, B positive. And this typing and the morphology is actually, you know, with beta hemolysis, it's enough to presumptively identify it. And I always like to repeat this, so presumptive identifications is when you, ident you can identify the organism based on a certain characteristics, you know, some colony morphology and biochemicals, right? Staph aureus, beta hemolysis, catalyst positive, coagulase positive. E. coli, flat lactose fermenter dry, indole positive. So those are presumptive IDs. So with group B, as long as you know you have beta hemolysis, strep B positive, you can call it Streptococcus agalacti or group B strep. And of course, you know, it can be identified with Vitag, Molotov, and other commercial methods. Now I mentioned that this organism causes meningitis, you know, it also causes septicemia. So you can identify it in blood cultures with nucleic and PCR methods. So I mentioned, you know, that that blood culture method that will definitely identify Staph aureus, Staph and then the other ones will mention it as 
coagulate is negative stuff. So the same methods will ID, you know, streptococcus pyogenes, and they will ID streptococcus agalacti as well. And since it causes meningitis, you can also see it on the meningitis panels that you've run for cerebral spinal fluid. So this panel, you know, typically it, it will test for, you know, your classic organisms that cause meningitis. So on this panel, you can see Cryptococcus neoformans, you can see Streptococcus agalactiae, you see Haemophilus influenza, Neisseria meningitis. So they are included in this panel. So you will see Streptococcus agalactiae in one of these panels. So there are definitely PCR methods that can, you know, you use for those rectal vaginal swabs. And I will be talking about that in the next episode. So, right, I mentioned that at 35 to 37 weeks of gestation, that particular swab is collected. Depending on what kind of facility you have, you know, you might work at a smaller lab. So in that case, you probably will do the culture. But sometimes, you know, larger facilities will have PCR instruments, just like the Gene Expert Cepheid that I mentioned in the previous episode that you can use for your group A. So they make also tests for group B. You can also, that swab, instead of doing the culture, you can go through a procedure where you can actually end up running it on the PCR, on the PCR instrument. Nucleic acid methods, culture, PCR methods for blood and vaginal rectal swabs. Now, for your students out there, there's a classic test that we use. You might not use it nowadays, I don't know, maybe here in the States, not as often, but there is a test that is called the CAMP test. But this is good, you know, it probably will show on your boards, like your ASCP. So it's definitely good to know about this. So what does CAMP stand for? Well, it stands for Christy, Atkins, and Munch-Peterson. It is used to differentiate group B strep from other streptococci. And this test is based on the production of, a, of an extracellular hemolytic protein that acts in synergy with the beta lysing of staph aureus to enhance the lysis of the red blood cells. How do you perform this test? You streak a line of staph aureus in the center of the plate, blood agar plate, and then you streak a line of the organism that you are testing perpendicular to that of staph aureus. And it has to be done within two millimeters of staph aureus. So this is a definitely a uh, very simple setup of the test. And your microbiology textbooks, I mean, I know like um, Bailey and Scott's Diagnostic Microbiology, or you might be using another one. You know, they, they, they detail the procedure. It's fairly simple. Even the American Society for Microbiology, the ASM, if you Google um, CAMP test ASM, there is a document there with the instructions on how to perform it. So there's definitely many sources where you can go to if you have any questions on how to perform the test. But it's definitely a very simple one. So once you, you, know, you do that line with the staph aureus, and then perpendicular, you do the line within two millimeters of you know, the line of Streptococcus agalactiae, that is two millimeters from the staph aureus. And then once you have done that, you will incubate that plate in a non-CO2 incubator for 24 hours. A positive result is the appearance of an arrowhead where the two lines come together. And you might ask yourself, what's, what's this arrowhead? 
Well, this is an indicator of enhanced hemolysis. A negative result is the absence of the arrowhead, indicating no hemolysis. And as I was preparing for this episode, I went ahead in the lab. I don't do it in my lab. I mean, where I, where I work, we identify strep either by group B culture or PCR methods or Molotov. So I haven't done a camp test in school, but they ask about it in the boards. So, and they ask about it in school. So it's definitely good knowledge to have. But I went ahead and set it up and it worked out beautifully and you could see the arrowhead. So that arrowhead is an indicator of enhanced hemolysis. Now there are, there's another organism that can do a, what they call a reverse CAM test, but hopefully we'll talk about that on a later episode down the road. Just to clarify, the organism that you are testing perpendicular to the Staph aureus, it's the one that you are testing for CAMP, which in the case of group B strep, it's positive. Today you have learned about a, new, a different species of strep under a different Lansfield classification system, group B streptococcus. And like I keep mentioning, this is definitely a very serious organism. I mean, all the other ones tend to be as well, but this one causes meningitis. So we have to make sure in the lab, regardless of the colony count on women of childbearing age, we always report it. So even if we have one colony, and if the patient is of childbearing age, we go ahead and report it. But it's, it's a very easy organism to treat, unless, you know, they treat it with penicillin. Unless the patient is, you know, it's allergic to it, then they will have to request more testing. But normally we don't do susceptibilities on it in the lab. And that is for sources like genital cultures, urine cultures, wound cultures. When we get to the, to the blood cultures, to the spinal fluid cultures, body fluid cultures, then susceptibilities are performed. But to those sources like genital, wound, urines, susceptibilities are not performed unless the patient is allergic to penicillin. And I just want to touch on something real quick that when I mention, I refer to uh, regardless of colony counts, I am talking about urine cultures that sometimes, you know, you have situations where Depending on the number of colonies, if you have like less than 10 or, and some automated instruments, sometimes, you know, some things don't get reported. I just wanted you to keep that in mind. Also, something to keep in mind is that you have to be careful regarding morphology because there's also another organism that is involved in meningitis for neonates. And the colonies are also whitish and it has a beta hemolytic pattern which is very similar to that of group B strep. And this organism is Listeria. So they do resemble each other on the plane. But as always, you know, look at your gram stain, perform a gram stain on the colonies. And also there's a test that differentiates them. As far as gram stain, group B strep is gram positive coxine chains, whereas Listeria, they are short gram positive rods. Also, group B strep is catalase negative and listeria catalase positive. So keep this in mind, especially if you're brand new at this, you might go through them. Sometimes, you know, you're going too fast and you might mistake them for one another. However, you know, listeria, you see it is not as frequent as you will see group B strep. But nevertheless, keep that in mind. 
that they do resemble each other on blood platinum and on the blood agar plate. But you know, one is a cocci, one is a rod, one is catalase negative, and one is catalase positive. Okay, so I mentioned the Todd Hewitt broth. So what is this broth? Well, it is used for the cultivation of group B strep. And there's a popular version of it, which is the limb broth. And those of you that work in the lab, you probably, you know, you're familiar with this one. So this is a Todd Hewitt broth supplemented with antibiotics. And today I want to go over the BD BBL limb broth. It has peptones, dextrose, and salts. It also has yeast extract. And all this provides nutrients and vitamins to stimulate growth. You know, the, dextro, the dextrose stimulates hemolysin production. It has nalidixic acid and cholestine. And what do these do? Well, they suppress the growth of gram-negative bacteria. So this is a very easy to set up. You place the vaginal rectal swab in the broth. Then you cap it and incubate it in a non-CO2 incubator with the cap loosened at 35 degrees for 24 hours. It can be examined from 18 to 24 hours. If turbidity is observed, then subculture the broth to a blood agar plate. Then you examine the plates at 24 and 48 hours, like I mentioned. If the broth is not turbid, then you can keep the broth for an additional day. And like I mentioned, you set this broth with the, with the blood agar plate. So the whole process takes three days. You know, your blood plate, if it doesn't have group B strep looking colonies, you know, you keep it for two days. So at day one of, of examination of your blood plate, you look at your broth that is turbid. So you sub it out to a blood agar plate and you continue looking for group B colonies for two days. And then your original blood plate is good after 48 hours and you're done with it. So very standard setup. I mean, this is the more very common because depending on the size of your lab, not all the laboratories, you know, they have PCR instruments, but almost everyone does have blood plates and they purchase this broth. So the group B strep culture, it's a very common and standard method. Now, in the previous episode, I mentioned that just like group A strep, Cephid also makes a group B strep test. And I'm actually going to be talking about two of them in this episode. So one of them is the gene expert, um, the Cephid GBS-LB. Can you guess what the LB is for? If you thought limb broth, you are right. So this is an in vitro qualitative test to detect GBS from enriched rectal vaginal specimens. It is a PCR test. So like I mentioned, right? So pregnant patients, they get screened at 35 to 37 weeks of gestation. And I, and I, and I just talk about limb broth. So this test is performed in limb broth that has been incubated from 18 to 24 hours. So now this test kind of just takes away from, it's an, it's an alternative to the culture. So you get that swab that's collected, the vaginal rectal swab. You place it in limb broth. And just following the procedure I described, you incubate it for 18 to 24 hours. Once that period is over, your broth is mixed. Then you place a clean swab on the broth. 
and that swab goes in the test cartridge. Then your cartridge is closed and placed in the Gene Expert instrument following the testing procedure. So the test takes approximately 55 minutes. It is resulted as GBS positive or negative. If there's an error, no result, or an invalid message appears, then the test needs to be repeated. You might be thinking, does a negative result need to be confirmed by another method? And with this one, no. I mean, it's already enriched. You already took that swab. You place it in an enrichment broth that you incubated for 24 hours. So you make sure that you know if there was anything in there, as far as group B strep, the test will be able to, you know, it would be able to detect it. So once you get your negative result, you are done. I mean, if you have a positive result, depending on, I mentioned that you don't do susceptibilities on it because you treat it with penicillin. But if the provider, you know, makes a note on the file saying this patient is allergic to penicillin, then at that point in time, if you get a positive result, you will have to sub it out to a blood plate so you can go ahead and perform susceptibilities if that's what's needed. But at the same time, keep in mind that this happens. It doesn't happen too often, but it does happen. That, you know, this is a PCR test, so it's, it's detecting DNA. So there's a possibility that your organism might be not non-viable. You know, I've seen it happen. You get a positive result. You know, you play your broth to a blood culture plate, blood agar plate, and then nothing grows. So the organism might be non-viable. So keep that in mind. But it is not as frequent. So you should be able to get growth on a blood agar plate. But this is only if they request susceptibilities for it. Now the next test that I want to talk about, like I said, is also from Cepheid. So up to this point, we are on screening mode. You know, the patient is at 35 to 37 weeks of gestation. You know, they had that swab collected. And then you perform either a culture, you know, go through that process. Or then you can, you know, perform that PCR process. But at this point in time, the patient is not on active labor. So this test that I'm going to talk about is when the patient is actually on active labor. This, this is the expert GBS test, also a PCR test. And it is useful to detect antiparum and intrapartum colonization and to identify candidates for intrapartum antibiotic prophylaxis. So maybe the patient didn't have it done before, you know, didn't get to do the screening, and now the patient is on active labor, and, you know, the doctor needs to know, does, is the patient colonized with group B strep? And if so, the patient needs to be treated. It is an also, you know, it is a simple test. You place the swab in the test cartridge and perform the test following your instrument testing procedure. It takes, takes about 50 minutes or less and it is resulted as GBS positive or negative. You know, retesting for invalid error or no results, it's going to depend on the facility's criteria. So there should be alternate methods. But what we do is, we you know, we typically repeat it if you get some sort of error. You know, your facility might also have you set a culture on samples that are negative to confirm this result. Since, you know, it wasn't enriched, 
I mentioned on the on the GBS LB, you know, you, you had that swap for 24 hours, so it wasn't rich. So you went to through a comprehensive procedure, so you don't confirm it. But with this, you know, you're just testing the swap. So there might be the potential for a false negative, or maybe you know it wasn't enough. So you they might have you set up a culture on it just to confirm the fact that it is actually negative. So now that you know three tests, let's go over and compare and contrast them. So let's start with the culture, you know, standard method. One of the, some of the cons are that it takes, the overall process can take three days, you know, right? Your initial blood plate, two days. On day one of your blood plate, you're examining your limb broth and then it's cloudy. You subculture it for two days. Sometimes, you know, maybe your sample might have arrived late at the lab. So that limb broth might not be within those 18 to 24 hours. So you might have to wait an extra day, bringing the whole thing to four days. So those are four days that the doctor is waiting for the patient results. Now with the GBSLB, there's definitely some improvement. You know, it's, it's a day turnaround. So that's, you know, it's better. So it's still a day. With the GBS, the regular GBS, it is a fast test. But then again, you know, it's not an enriched process. So you might have to confirm, you know, you, you get a result right away. So if it's positive, it's definitely, it's definitely good because the physician gets the result right away. But if it's negative, you might have to confirm it. So that's going to take another two days, depending on which method. I mean, if you have to confirm it by a culture, then you just bought another three days. So they have their pros and cons, but definitely your your limb broth is very popular it's an enrichment method and even though it does take a while you know it takes a whole day for the gbslb and three potentially three for the culture you know once you get a negative you have definitely the pretty good test because you have gone through the process of enrichment and, and at that point in time you have successfully ruled out group b strep so this is definitely a very fascinating organism and you definitely will see it a lot. But you know, it's typically when you have it on once you have identified it, something as simple as putting it on the moldy top or just you know doing the typing, which is very easy. You know, you you listen to the episode with the procedure. It's fairly quick. So once you have that agglutination, you're done. And also, you know, if you Unless your patient is allergic to penicillin, once you have identified, you are done with it. But keep that in mind that this is something when you are working cultures, especially a lot of new techs, you know, they get put on the urine bench right away. It's typically the first one that you start. You know, as you're working, look out for those colonies. You know, you get your plate, put it against the light so you can watch out for hemolysis. And then if you see it, look at your patient's age. You know, if the patient is within childbearing age, you have to work it up. You have to report it no matter the colony amount. And just to close on this, I mentioned, you know, typically, as I just said that text, you know, get put on the urine bench when they start. You know, this is one of the places where you're going to see it more often. I mean, you do see it on other, you know, you see it on the wound bench and other areas as well 
But definitely on the urines, I mean, it likes to colonize the you know, female genital area. So that's where you're going to see it the most. And out of curiosity, if you're wondering why do the text get started on the urine bench first, it is because it tends to be a great place for the text to get used to the organisms. You know, typically you have the uropathogen, you know, the one that's causing the infection. And not, if not, then you have a lot of normal flora. So it's a good way for the text to start training the eyes on what is like mixed flora looks like and start getting a good grasp on the organisms. And it's a little bit easier. Once you get to the wound bench, you start getting all these non-fermenters. Also, you know, you start getting more organisms like your pasturella, actinomyces. So definitely the, the probability of you getting you know, the scope of organisms definitely widens a lot. Whereas on the urine, it's typically more restricted to enterobacteriales, some non-fermenters, you know, definitely see pseudo. I know you can get your strep, your enterococcus, and then your normal uh, vaginal flora organisms. So it's just something, just an FYI for those of you that work in the lab and thinking why the urine bench first. You know, just an FYI. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about Streptococcus agalactiae. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. So please, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important, you do such great work. And stay tuned, great content coming your way. Next week, the season officially continues with brand new episodes brand new content so as always thank you for the support continue downloading episodes and sharing the podcast with co-workers students and friends thank you so much so as always stay motivated stay safe and of course continue talking micro until the next time bye